Welcome to the Critical Conversations podcast, hosted by two critical care nurses who are doing things differently. We're here to discuss our healthcare system, why preventative health is so important to us, and what you can do about it. What if I told you, you had the power to change the trajectory of your life? Would you do it? Welcome back to Critical Conversations. This is Critical Conversations podcast number eight. And today we are going to be talking about the very confusing and very exciting (laughs) world of the microbiome. I want to say like, dun, dun, dun. I mean, everybody's waiting for this moment here. This is a big topic. (laughs) This was the topic that got me like just so excited about everything again um, after quitting my job over a year and some ago and I like lost myself in the microbiome so I'm so excited to be coming back and talking about the microbiome with you guys today yeah I think you found inspiration in like finding a a purpose for preventative health and like a path that you could go down to actually discover what was causing all these problems you had seen as a nurse at the bedside like it, it's really eye-opening. Well, even more than that, it was exciting that there's. I'm a research nerd, and when I left the bedside, I wanted to continue learning, kind of just as a grounding mechanism for me. It made me feel most like me. Mm-hmm. So I started learning about the microbiome, and I was like, holy crap. And when I was learning, it made me excited to teach people about what I was learning because it was like, come along with me. When you learn something cool, you're like, you need to tell a friend. It's like phone a friend. (laughs) You're like, listen to this cool stuff. So number one cool fact of the day, this was discovered by University of Colorado, that there is between 10 and 100 trillion symbiotic microbial cells in your in one person each person there's between 10 and 100 trillion microbial cells and that is insane basically it's more than or close to the same amount of dna found in a person is also found in your microbiome so there's right. like a whole world living inside of you right I uh, just this past week did a little poll on my Instagram stories asking people if they knew or could guess which we have more of, our own human cells or more bacterial cells. Sorry, I can't speak. Um, In our bodies. And the majority of people were saying, I think it was like 90% of people guessed that there were more bacterial cells than human cells in our bodies. And 10% of people guessed human. I'm not sure if that was scientifically backed guesses or if they just are unaware of what the microbiome is and how powerful it is to our bodies. And I know one question that we were getting a lot last week after last week's episode was what is the microbiome. So I think we should dive into that first and then we can dive into more of the fun facts and statistics of why we think it's so important. (laughs) You guys, you know, I know I love analogies. This isn't actually a real analogy, but it just came to my mind. Do you remember Men in Black when the, there was a galaxy hanging on that cat, the cat's neck or Ryan's neck? <laughs> yes, yeah, on like, his that's collar. That's what I feel like the microbiome is to our body, and then you're just like, oh, you're like discovering this like entire new galaxy. You're just like already there. Anyway, sorry. I just so the that. microbiome is our galaxy. <laughs> yes, from Men in Black. All right, continuing Perfect. on. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting that a lot of people actually 
I don't think it's a bad thing that people don't know. I think that you either have to be interested enough to study it yourself, or if you don't know where to get the research, it gets confusing and you're like, I don't know, even understand how to research it. So we're bringing it to you. But it's, it is important to know because there's so many people taking probiotics or buying prebiotics and not really understanding the meaning of either of them. So we're going to start breaking it down, make it super simple as simple as we can get. Yeah, we want to make it actionable, like what you can do about it. Yeah, and so you can act, like walk away from this with a tangible lifestyle changes that you can make to really boost your microbiome and the, put it in a positive direction and what you can do to help prevent actually disease because in your gut is what they're finding is like the root of most diseases. Yeah. So I'm going to let you go for it, Brie. <laughs> I'm just going to um, hand it over. I've been talking so much. I had, I think I had too much caffeine. <laughs> um, microbiome, uh, most simply said, is the bacteria living in us and on us. Um, the majority of the bacteria in our bodies and on our bodies is located in our digestive tract, in our small intestine and large intestine. It helps us digest food. It helps regulate our immune system, our hormones. It protects the lining of our gut and can really big, play a big role in our mood and different things throughout our life that we haven't really given much thought to. That it might actually be the digestion happening and the bacteria assisting with that digestion and the processes that are being put off by the things they're getting exposed to that are actually making us feel the way we do on a certain day. So the majority of the microbiome is in our digestive tract. Um, it's also in our mouth, in our nose, on our skin. For women, it's in our vagina, and it's also the first place that the when you're born as a baby that you get exposed to your microbiome when you go through the birth canal and you get exposed if you're a vaginal delivery. That's the start of our microbiome and the start of the bacteria having a symbiotic relationship, as you said earlier, creating balance in our bodies. Yeah, it's interesting actually. Because I was reading when I, again, when I got into heavy, heavy into the gut, sounds like it was a drug or something, but um, when I got really into studying the gut and <laughs> really understanding the microbiome and how it began, it really does begin when you're born. And they were, there was an article and I can't remember which one it was, I was reading it. It was part of the NIH. They have a whole lab devoted to the microbiome at this point. Yeah. Which is really kind of badass. No, I mean, that's really cool. Ooh, that's a little bit of a pun. I didn't mean to do that, but there you go. You're welcome. Um, anyway, there's a whole article developed just to talk about vaginal versus cesarean deliveries because what they're finding is that your gut is actually how you your immune system starts. So your mom, if you're vaginally born you're getting a little bit of that. You're inhaling it as the baby coming out and you're getting it on your face. And I know that sounds gross, but like that is how it's passed off. And that's, that's how, life. that is how your immune system even gets a boost. You get that first big whop of bacteria and it's bacteria. It's back. It's yeast. It's fungal. It's everything. You want it all. It needs to all be living in there. It's going to live in harmony usually, mm -hmm. hopefully. Um, but that's how it starts. And they were noticing that children who had that boost of bacteria and were born vaginally actually were doing better than the kids who did not get that first interaction. Right. That are born by C-section and being surgically right. cut out. And like almost born. sterily born. Right. Um, and so what they're doing now is they're, they're doing a wipe and swipe. 
So they're, t- they're doing a wipe of the mom's vaginal area and swiping on the baby's face so they can actually get inoculated with that bacteria. Right. I think we just dove in like really deep to something really gross to a lot of people. And to us, it's just so fascinating. <laughs> it's the beginning. Yeah. I think that that's if you're when you're born, like that's how you even begin your microbiome. And then after that, and all moms that are listening can attest to this, like your kid is basically like a walking Petri dish you're constantly getting sick from your kid because they're constantly getting things into things. They're in environmental Getting exposures. exposed to new stuff. They're getting exposed to all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And they're outside and they're eating dirt and they're eating sand and they're taking things from other kids' trees. And, you know, they're all over the place. Their hands are on the floor and they think nothing of it. And they're just putting it in their mouth and they're actually inoculating themselves with this, with all sorts of different stuff. And sometimes it makes them sick and sometimes it doesn't. And... Yeah. Yeah. I've even heard that there's been a lot of studies, especially even more recently with the increase of allergies and asthma in children and things that kids that are raised, obviously first that are vaginally born and then breastfed have a stronger microbiome. But the bigger factor that they're finding is whether or not kids are raised with pets in the home, cat or a dog or some sort of animal that they're actually getting exposed to additional bacteria and microbes, the dogs going outside, rolling in the grass, and then the kids getting more exposure to that too, that it actually decreases the chance of allergies and asthma and potential illnesses. They're seeing a link to it. I don't know what the true science is behind it, but it's just additional exposure to additional microbes and just keeping a broad range and balance within our bodies. I think it's really interesting. I know I was raised with a dog in my house like since I was born. My parents had a a one-year-old Doberman pincher, which they were told to that it wasn't the safest situation, but she ended up being my biggest protector. Um, Like the day I came home from the hospital, there was a dog in my house. Yeah. I did read a study somewhere that that was part of what they encourage people to have is exposure to pets. Yeah. To boost their microbiome. But if you do no one freak out if you had a child who they were born cesarianly and made by C-section and then you couldn't breastfeed. Like it's, this is not the end of the world. This is just how people historically have gotten a good footing on their microbiome. Right. right. All things are not lost. Yeah, it it's is okay the, if you don't have a pet. It's the foundation of things you can do, but there's also so many other things you can do. I think it is interesting, though, that C-sections are becoming a more of a like a preference and they're being scheduled. And I just want to <laughs> share my opinion on what I've read and learned and been exposed to that if you're around that age and you're thinking whether or not you should schedule a C-section versus having a regular vaginal delivery – just be aware that there is, you know, the microbiome's part of that. And if you have the ability to have a vaginal delivery and you're not high risk and everything can go smoothly, like it's it's ultimately more beneficial for the kid long term. It's actually a faster healing time for mom too. But there's so many different reasons yeah. that somebody would go and do one thing or the other. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm talking about people that are just making the choice out of preference versus medical necessity. But yeah, so from birth to kids rolling around and things like that, that's how we first get exposed and get into balance. But what are the things that you now know that are getting us out of balance as we're getting older and throughout our life that we're getting exposed to? Well, even if you think about kids, like if I 
for anybody who did not listen to my story last week, which is totally fine if you wanted to skip over <laughs> and come straight here, but I did tell you about my story as a child and all the way through my health history. And for me, I was on high doses of antibiotics all the way through my childhood. And antibiotics play a huge role in the destruction of your microbiome because what happens is you get sick, you have, I, I have from having ear infections and, um, whole bunch of tonsil issues, including the chronic strep throat. And I was put on antibiotics frequently. And I remember historically, I also was put on several Z packs as a, like as a young adult. And what these antibiotics do is wipe out your gut flora. So it's not necessarily intended for that, but it does it um, because you're taking it. And so it's intended to kill the bug that's causing the problem and to make it not a problem anymore to physically heal you of your infection but it also does kill your gut microbiome. So it throws it all out of whack and it needs to basically regrow and you hope that it's going to rebalance in the correct way and it may not and it may not grow properly. Yeah, and some antibiotics kill off different strains and, you know, like they say that sometimes there's certain medications or antibiotics we take where it permanently kills off certain strains that never come back. But your body can always rebalance to that. It's just how often and are you doing that and how extreme is the die-off of the good, the good bacteria that are in your body. Right. And so I think it's really important as kind of like the consumer, I'll call you, or the patient to be aware. Um, obviously, if you have a positive strep te- test, you need to take the antibiotics because you, things could get much worse and you don't want to get worse. There's time and place for antibiotics. I'm definitely not saying that you should never use antibiotics. But I, for one, I'm telling you right now that I'm guilty of it and I didn't know better at the time and think it was was kind of in vogue. Like you go to the doctor and you're like, I have this thing. It's not going away. Can you please give me a Z-Pack? And there's like this name of like a Z-Pack. Basically, it's a big gun antibiotic that kills everything. It's frequently prescribed for people um, by doctors and practitioners as like a coverall, like they're not entirely sure what's going on. There might be an infection. You kind of have a fever. You might have like a little discoloration of snot or something <laughs> and they give it to you. And I don't think it's as common anymore that that happens, but it was pretty common. And oh, so I it would, was so I would say for like an entire decade, it was the go to pres- prescription or if people wanted treatment yeah. and the doctors didn't really know what was going on that was just the coverall like you said it was just everybody got a z-pack right and so not only does that destroy your microbiome but what it does and antibiotics have only been around for about like 80 90 years so they're pretty new in the world of medicine yeah and in, in the world itself but what's happening is that when you continuously expose yourself and expose by um, your microbiome and your basically your gut bugs to these antibiotics, they could become resistant to it. Mm-hmm. So should that become a problem in your life and you end up having leaky gut and that bacteria gets into your blood system and it has become resistant to that antibiotic, you got bigger problems because it can't be treated normally anymore right and that's not something you can necessarily know or control like which bug is becoming resistant to which antibiotic but you can be aware of which antibiotics you are taking and what you're being prescribed and how often you're taking things and if you're going to different urgent cares or emergency rooms or different doctors for different things and they don't have a record of what you've been prescribed they might 
overprescribe certain things or treat you with the wrong stuff because they don't know your history. So it's just kind of going back to the beginning episodes where we talked about just being aware of those things. Like that stuff can add up over time and it's really important that the doctor knows what you're prescribed for. If you had an infection, you were given a pack and it didn't get better, you probably want to go back to the same doctor who knows, you know, yeah. what has worked and hasn't worked, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm, I'm mentioning the resistant bugs mainly because I think that I think that there's been a lot of news articles in the past like 10 years. It's like this super bug and it makes it sound like it's like, where did this come from? Yeah. It came from nowhere. Yeah, that's but true. The reality is it didn't just come from nowhere. It became, it came from our, our misuse of antibiotics and sometimes it was inappropriate use, but it frequently in these cases were like an overuse or we, even in the hospital, like if you fall into a certain category, they will test you for a bug or they'll test you, send your blood out for cultures and they'll start you on antibiotics before it even comes back for anything. And so I think they're right. trying to shift away from that, but we won't go into any more about antibiotics, but that's definitely one thing <laughs> that can, that's pretty, I would say most people have been on antibiotics at some point in their life, if not more than once. Personally, I was on right. pretty consistently as a child into my early adulthood. Yeah, I think I took antibiotics probably at least two or three times a year, like my entire like teenage, early adulthood, just for strep throat, sinus infections, different things that were that might have gone away on their own that weren't always tested. Like it just felt like strep throat, so I was given an antibiotic. It wasn't actually tested positive for strep throat every time I would get the antibiotic right. prescription. Oh, so I think that's something to yeah, be aware of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I used to be sad. I remember being sad when I couldn't get an antibiotic because it just meant that I had to be sick. <laughs> anyway. Because <laughs> nothing would yeah, nothing fix, it fix it fast. I do, before we go too far away from antibiotics, it's correlated, is the antibiotics in our food. And that's a big part of the antibiotic resistance and different things. The factory farmed raised meats are being fed or were being fed more than they are now, a lot of antibiotics in their factory, in their life in the factory farm. Um, and then we're eating those meats. So those animals are becoming resistant and then that's causing antibiotic resistance within us as well. So it's just, it's a side note that it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be you taking the antibiotic. If the animals you're eating are being given antibiotics and you're eating that type of meat, over and over again consistently, that can be a source of antibiotics in your life that you might not have even been aware of. Mm. Um, and it's just a reason to just kind of make those more conscious decisions of buying antibiotic-free meat if you can and when it's available to you because that that's a source of exposure that a lot of people don't realize is happening. Yeah. And now most of them actually say antibiotic-free. I think it's – people are moving Yeah, I think it's a it. lot more common than it used to be. So – Let's just talk about real quick before more things that disrupt it. Let's real quick cover why is your microbiome even important? So it, it is the hub. It is able to turn on and off your DNA. It is basically the captain of your ship other than your body. Your body obviously is doing stuff, but it is also telling it what to do. So mm -hmm. your gut actually can produce serotonin which can, is a mood enhancer. It's directly related to your neurotransmitting um, access. Like your, your whole neurosystem is related to your gut. They kind of talk to each other. It's being called the second brain. And it's, yeah, that's so interesting. And it's being very closely 
there was, uh, I think it was, I think it was an NIH article as well. I'll have to go back and check it for you guys and I'll find it for you. And then we'll link it in the notes. But there is a new article from last year that came out that was linking Alzheimer's with and dementia with your gut. And I thought that was huge. Yeah. It's it's been something that has been disregarded for so long and I'm I'm glad it's part of the conversation. Um because we're now realizing how many of these long-term diseases, illnesses, things that we didn't really know how to prevent, it truly is coming back to our digestive system and what we're exposing our body to and how in balance our, our microbiome truly is. Like it's, it's powerful. Like once you start to dive into this, that you can learn what you've done to disrupt it, but then learning what you can do to help it can give you power for your future and realizing that you might be preventing a multitude of things, especially like with the neurosystem, yeah. your brain with dementia and Alzheimer's, knowing that you have a little power possibly to prevent that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's also, it's not, it does, definitely doesn't stop there. Although the brain obviously is incredibly important um, and actually fixing your gut is shown to be just as effective as taking or more effective as taking a antidepressant, which I thought yeah. when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh. Because I, yeah, that's so because I would never expect that. But it's also so your gut also does not just your brain, which is also obviously it's huge, but it affects your skin, it affects all inflammation, it affects your hormone levels, your insulin levels, it affects um, your weight set point, it affects the genes. Like I said, turning things on and off. You can actually turn your genes on and off with your microbiome. Um, and then it is the promoter of any autoimmune diseases. So if you have a genetic um, predisposition to some sort of autoimmune disease, which is basically going to be the path of least resistance. So if you're predisposed in genetics and then your gut is inflamed and your microbiome's all thrown off, that pathway is going to open up and you're going to present with MS, lupus, Crohn's disease, um, rheumatoid arthritis, all sorts of different things are directly affected by your gut. Yeah. Thyroid problems, all that kind of stuff. So what else can we do? What else are we doing that's wrong for our gut? Like what are we, what are the things that we should stop doing and what are the things we should start doing? And one of the things that is listed, actually Dr. Axe has a really great website of the microbiome. It's really, it's like he did a beautiful job of putting it into simple words and great art and everything point bullet point stuff. But he on there was talking about stress and how stress plays a major part. And people don't even realize that they're overstressed, um, whether it's too much exercise, work life, like things are just being thrown off. They're not sleeping enough. Um, sleep is huge. Stress is huge to your gut. It's <laughs> you're sending signals to your gut if you're okay or not. And then they're deciding whether like it's all working together to increase inflammation or decrease inflammation. Right. Because if you are doing excessive things in other ways, working too hard, working out too hard, not sleeping enough, your body can't focus in on proper digestion and those things. It's constantly trying to balance out hormones and other it's places just, of your It's body. trying to live. It's like if yeah. I don't, I'm stressed out, something bad's happening to me, I need to send all of my energy to live. And stress is meant to be a life-saving thing. Stress is mm -hmm. supposed to be is, is good for you to some extent, but too much stress, which a lot of us are under and don't really acknowledge it, 
because we live in that constant state is a very bad thing. And a lot of people don't get enough sleep per night, which is also putting a huge tax on your gut. Yeah. And you can, I know I personally, I can feel it if I'm stressed, I feel uncomfortable in my gut. Like there's the saying, like, listen to your gut. If there's a situation that's stressing you out, like you feel things kind of tighten up and things happen in the core of your, the trunk of your body. Like things are happening because there's inflammatory markers and other things that are being sent out and cytokines and all that stuff that are being sent to different parts of your body to help balance or fight off where the stress is actually coming from, whether it be an infection or an emotional stress or just exercise is good to help balance stress, but it can also be a stressor if you're going too hard. (laughs) So I think the whole, the trigger of listen to your gut, like if you go back to the simplicity of that, like stress is a big signal that things are uh, out of balance if you're too stressed out. So not only are they sending signals to each other about what's happening in your gut. So if you're stressed, like the pathways, which we won't get into the sciencey parts because I don't think it's helpful to you guys, but it's sending yeah, it just it's gets the neurotransmitter <laughs> activity and things that are being actually sent around. They're talking to each other. So your cells are talking to each other and they're saying, this is what's yeah. happening. There's neurotransmitters like dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin that are going to control your moods and ease tension and raise alertness and things like that. But all of this really starts like, (laughs) so it's not only your environment. It's not only what you're feeling. We're going to get back to it guys. I know this is like critical conversations and it was, it's a nursing podcast, but like to be fair, most of the stuff about prevention really comes back to what you're doing on a day to day basis. And that includes what you're eating. And if you're not eating the right, (laughs) it all goes back to real food. (laughs) If you're not eating the right stuff, you actually can't support the microbiome. So if you're not at least walking a little bit to ease that anxiety and tension gets your body moving. Um, so some exercise, a lot, like a good amount of sleep, reduce stressors, but these are all things that you can do without ever knowing exactly like, oh, do I have a healthy gut or not? Which you can, we'll dive into what you can do and talk to a practitioner about it. But these are things that you can implement today um, and what you're eating and the things of what to avoid and what they do in your gut um, are really huge. And I know that we've kind of been pretty surfacey about food in the way of we haven't dived down into the science of food so much. Yeah, that's true. But poor eating habits, like food is either the slowest form of poison to your body or it's medicine to your body. Yes, absolutely. I love that saying. I've seen that before. And this isn't a new concept. I mean, we were just talking about this is age old concept that that right. everything starts in the gut, like age old concept. Yeah. And it's and it used to be so intuitive back in the day, like centuries ago, it was more intuitive, but now we have convenience invading our homes and packaged foods and drive through windows to pick up things and gyms on every corner and long work hours and cell phones constantly keeping us occupied. And, you know, like we're overwhelmed that we can't really dive into those intuitive 
senses that we used to have that we would be able to slow down and be aware of things or eat the proper foods or eat more one day or eat less the other day. And I feel like now people just get so stuck into routine, like wake up, go to work, come home, eat dinner. Like some people might eat the same thing every day because it's it's easy. But I think what we're trying to get at with this is that the intuition is has kind of been pushed to the wayside and we're trying to bring you back to that but then also give you the steps to like slowly start to do things we know can help and then you might actually be able to tune into the intuition of when you're more stressed and not and what your body needs that day I know Laura and I are both still trying to figure that out but I feel more in tune to those signals more than I ever have like this past year of my life and knowing what I need to do on certain days and which routines I need to break depending on how I feel. For sure. I think I think that's an ongoing process of learning yourself because you're going to go through seasons and one season is going to look like completely different than another season for each person. Not just like right. every individual will be different. Every individual will be different within their own life. Yeah, things things change with life, you know, it's it's not predictable by any means. And yet we try to make it predictable. I think getting stuck in routine sometimes can actually, depending on the situation, do more harm than good because it doesn't allow for variety in certain situations and allow for variety of your microbiome (laughs) if you're too stuck in your routine on a daily basis. Well, and speaking back into the community that we're talking to is primarily health seekers already. If you're here, you're probably already seeking health. And frequently, um, right now in today's society, before you seek health, you usually seek fitness. And I think that in the fitness community, there's a lot of unhealthy practices that have come and evolved in the fitness community. And there's some like idea that you can like somehow out supplement or outrun a bad diet. Yes. I hate that. And you, and you can't. And it's not, it's a lot more. It's not just like how you look. I mean, I, I'm, I'd be so happy if everyone loved how they looked, but it's more than about how you feel and how your body's actually functioning than what you right. look like. And what they, what there is a typical like diet standard, you, you can get thrown into any one of these food camps like we had previously talked about, or you start avoiding things that you should be eating that would actually really benefit your microbiome. Yeah, because somebody told you it was bad or somebody else might be sensitive to it, so they avoid it and then you avoid it just because they do. Like, it's a vicious cycle. Or you think it's going to make you <laughs> fat or or like yeah. eating a whole egg. Like, eat the yolk. That's where – that is where your nutrition is. That's where your That's fat where is. That's all the nutrition is. And fat yeah. is actually being very closely linked to the brain – so when you eat that fat and it's helping line, like your brain is made of fat. So when you're not eating fat because you think it's going to make you fat or it doesn't fit into your macros, you're choosing physical appearance over physical health. But then again, eating fat doesn't even actually make you fat. It's just a mindset right. or something we were taught long ago that most people still believe. It's not the fat in your diet. As long as it's high quality fat, it's not actually going to make you fat. It's it's the sugar I hope it makes your or brain the low fat though. It should. Your brain is <laughs> your made brain of fat. You need fat. That is so your brain, the way it works and the way it communicates is it has um, my, like it has myelin layers, like my, so it's, it, they actually have like fatty 
pieces that are covered. So the neur- covering the neurons. the neurons, yeah, the neurons are completely covered in fat. So to work properly, those neurons need to have a good layer of fat. That's how they're communicating with each other. That's how That's they're how the sending signals. signals. Are sent. So yeah. if you're not able to send those signals properly. You're setting yourself up for a whole bunch of other things. And all of that starts with the gut cell. Like it all comes in through your gut and it's sent out and signals are being sent everywhere from what you're eating. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just I have a person personally, that example that you just gave of the myelin sheath and the neurons and the signals being sent like that speaks to my heart and it hits home with me because when I was dealing with all of my personal issues, obviously... I had a severely disrupted microbiome for years um, that long-term led to showing me signals on my skin that I was able to pursue and seek out the reasons why. I was allergic to gluten for a long time, so that caused disruption in my gut and my microbiome, but that also caused my vitamin B12 deficiency. So I wasn't digesting fats or nutrients properly, and my myelin sheath and my neurons were potentially being harmed because my B12 levels were so low. My naturopath, when he saw how low my B12 level was when I was going through everything, told me that if I hadn't addressed it or didn't address it over the next year, it would have gotten so low that I probably would have ended up with a diagnosis of MS, multiple sclerosis. In Honestly, like anybody who has known me for a long time, like it was a running joke that I would have hand spasms and it was just kind of funny and I would always laugh it off. But like I have been kind of deemed the person that had hand spasms just at different like funny parts in my life. Like I threw an open smoothie cup into my car and smoothie went everywhere. Like there's just these moments in my life where my hands would shake for no reason and I would drop what I was holding and I never really realized how that was a signal in my body that things weren't communicating properly. And I had that underlying deficiency for a long time, starting to show those symptoms. And I have not had my quote unquote hand spasms since I have started repairing my gut and taking B12 and reestablishing that balance. So, I mean, that's a powerful statement that you made. I know you were correlating it to fat, but it's it's all correlated. Well, it is. It's and the healthy fats in our body and the yeah. nutrients that keep us in balance. Well, that's, well, that is one of the specific things that even like when you're doing these studies, when I'm reading these studies, that MS, just like many other autoimmune diseases, are, are like stoked on when we mess with our microbiome. Yeah. And I'm not putting that every, everything on you. Like maybe you, the listener, whoever you are, has had to have certain things done. I feel you. I was in the hospital getting IV antibiotics and I, I understand right. having to have things done, but it's really important to know that you actually have a lot of control now on what you're putting in your body. Yes. And a lot of control to reverse damage that might have already been done. Yes, absolutely. So putting, going back to what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat, which actually like really promotes either inflammation, which is just think of, think of inflammation in your gut as like, like a party gone bad. Like everyone's like just besting things up and throwing things out. And like people are ganging up on each other. Like there's just like, (laughs) 
it's just like mass chaos. Like bad stuff is happening. I love that mental picture. And like when things are when your inflammation's reduced, like it's like the coolest like chill party chill. and like everyone's getting along and like there's all sorts of different people yeah. there, but like it doesn't matter because it's a great time and everything's cool. Good vibes. Yeah. So it's kind of it's 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 like that. So when you have this inflammation, the things are going crazy in your gut, that's when the bad things happen. So what can we do to help make things chill and not go crazy? We can avoid refined vegetable oils. Okay. So um, American diets are like exceptionally high in omega-6 fatty acids and really low in um, omega-3s, which throw our ratio off. And when your ratio of omega-3s to 6s is off, it actually promotes inflammation throughout your whole body. Um, hey, Laura. It's a, uh, I think solutions okay. might have to be the next podcast. I think we should dive into what you can do about it and what you can do to kind of start to Guys, regain balance in your body and why. Brie is totally mommy us. Brie is I know this is like a terrible place to cut it. And you have to wait an entire another week to hear this <laughs> because, because you do. You have to wait. <laughs> We, I didn't even really, I feel like we've been talking for 10 minutes, but I just looked at the clock and saw how deep we've already gone. And I don't want to overwhelm everybody either, but I also know we want to kind of stick to our timeline. Well, if you guys want to, meanwhile, if you're like, I can't wait, I need to know now, we will put the links to Dr. Axe's um, microbiome page that we were looking at and then the NIH human microbiome, which is kind of more in depth and actually a little bit harder to digest, but if you're interested in kind of looking through the different research studies that they're doing, you can look there. So we'll link those for you if you're like, I have to know what these girls were going yeah. to say immediately so I can take over my life. I kill <laughs> you. That's how I felt. Yeah. Dive into it. Do your own research. He has great stuff. There, and Dr. Axe wrote a book a few years ago too called Eat Dirt. Um, I had it and I started reading it again these last couple of weeks just to kind of refresh my memory of what he said. And I'm loving it. I'm only a few chapters in, but his approach is so simple and it's relatable and easy to read. And I can tell he's has a lot of solutions coming into the book, but then also on his website, it's a great resource and it's totally And free. I will tell you about how I was in the hospital in op- episode seven and how I felt like I needed to eat dirt when I got out. <laughs> Yeah, we're really, just going to keep leaving that as a cliffhanger. <laughs> we're going to keep leaving that as like a carrot. But the reality is I really did feel like that. And I couldn't tell you why. And I didn't actually know why until this past year. Yeah. So with all of that being said, thanks so much for listening. I'm sorry we're leaving you in such a cliffhanger. <laughs> but for those of you that have the privilege of being listening to these back to back, you can move on to the next one. Otherwise, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, as always, leave us a review if you liked or didn't like something. You felt like we could do something better. Um, and for some of you, we will see you soon at She Day. Yes, She Day's coming up April 29th in Phoenix. And Laura and I are making a little road trip out of it, driving to Phoenix, and we would love if you guys join us there. Um, SheChangesEverything.com. They have a banner at the top of their page explaining She Day there as well, or you can um, find them on Instagram at SheChangesEverything. And find out more about it. We're really excited. We're going to talk on stage with a holistic nutritionist, Jennifer Klotz. Um, she's one of the founders of the event and Laura and I are going to 
dive more into our food freedom and what we've discovered. Um, but yeah, like Laura said, leave us rating and review if you haven't already. I'm going to make sure and link the articles, research articles that we mentioned in the show notes, but also on our website, www.criticalconversationspodcast.com. And we will catch you guys next week for episode nine. And we promise we will give you all the solutions, tips and tricks to heal and fix your microbiome. We'll see you next week. Thank you.